the gods. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Deuteronomy 3.24, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Deuteronomy 32.17, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. To gods they did not know. To new gods, new arrivals that fathers did not fear. Okay, so if there aren't other gods, then why do we have all these scriptures comparing, right? Putting Yahweh above the other gods. All right, and we see here, we put a certain set of attributes, okay? We put a certain set of attributes to the name slash word Elohim, right? When we think of Elohim, who do we think of? We think of Yahweh, right? So then we add a certain set of attributes, goodness, mercy, faithfulness, but this isn't the way the ancient Israelites would have seen that. To them, that was just a word for a God. That is why we have the, the definitive name Elohim of Elohim, right? He is the Elohim above all other Elohim, all right? The gods of the Bible are real divine beings, all right, given authority by God, and they were considered gods in this time period. Okay, listen, this, this is the definition of a God. Any being that is not a human being that is from the heavens is defined as a God. Okay, I'm not putting them, listen, I'm not putting them on the same playing field as Yahweh, all right? But any divine being that originated in the heavens with God is considered a divine being, liturgy, God. Okay, we understand that, right? Do, do we see where we're coming from? So when we see all the time, right, in the Old Testament, they weren't just writing God as an idol. They were experiencing some things that we don't necessarily experience today, okay? Their worldview was completely different, okay? The Bible is clear that Yahweh is Elohim of all Elohim. He is the creator of all and the most high, Yahweh. No one can displace him. He is over all. We got that, right? We understand his placement in this, okay? Let's, let's look at one more scripture. Let's look at 1 Kings 8.23. You can write that down. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Okay, and then we have three more here. I'll, I'll read one more. Psalms 86, 8. Among the gods, there is none like you. O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. And you guys write those last two down for reference, but do, do we see what I'm saying? Do we see how Yahweh is placed on a position above the other lowercase g gods, right? Because what, what, what is happening in our day and age that we don't necessarily see, see with our eye? There are gods fighting for our attention, right? We see that today, but not necessarily the way they did, okay? They, I genuinely believe, if they're writing things of this nature, they, they saw the spiritual realm a lot more in-depth than we did today, right? They didn't have the same filters blocking their eyes. What? We had the Enlightenment period in the 1600s. Science has really taken the place of God. Technology has come to the forefront, and our minds are clouded by so many different filters that hinder us from seeing these next-level things. Do, do we understand? Are we tracking what I'm saying so when I say recognize the spiritual realm I want us to read the Bible as they would have I want us to see all the times that God wasn't just pour, pouring out judgment on man 
he was also pouring out judgment on these gods, right? These divine entities, right? That we know as angels and demons, okay? So we need to see that because in our day and age, we are dealing with the same things. They just, they just clothe themselves differently, okay? They come at us in different ways. They have adapted as humans have adapted, right? I've said this before, but do we understand the spiritual realm, physical realm, we run, we intertwine with each other, right? So if we as humans are adapting, what are they doing? They're adapting. They're changing. We in the 21st century aren't anything like they were 8,000 years ago, right? We don't have the same struggles. We don't deal with the same things, right? They were worried about food and housing. We're worried about the best internet and cell phone and, you know, paying our mortgage, right? Changed, so they have changed. Point of this, yes, this, this stuff seems very obscure, but it's actually extremely relevant. And that's what's so exciting about this, because what does the Bible say? There's nothing new under the sun, correct? So if they were dealing with these entities, these demonic beings back then, we are dealing with the same ones today and battling the same things, just clothed in different forms. Amen? Right? So in order to fight these spiritual battles, like our battle plan we were talking about for Sundays, we've got to be able to understand what we're fighting. And to do that, what's the best way to do that? To track it back through history, right? So history doesn't repeat itself. If we can see how they failed in the Bible fighting these entities, that means to us today, if we study them properly and we apply the right things from Scripture, then we will not fail in the same ways. And we will win these battles that they lost, right? The whole point of history is to learn from history so history doesn't repeat itself. Amen? All right, let's move on to the next slide. All right, here we go. And this, this, this is where it starts getting exciting for me. Y'all, I'm a Bible nerd. Who else in here is a Bible nerd? Who just loves reading Scripture? Yeah, the, the obscure passages. This stuff really excites me. All right, so Elohim are actually what we call angels and demons. However, there is a hierarchy within, within the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. Not all are the same in appearance or function okay that that's going to be important for when we get into it but right now right this is just the intro right we're, we're just getting into things and that's going to be really important though when we study the hierarchy of heaven and the hierarchy of the kingdom of darkness but first i want to deal with the divine council okay and i want to go to scripture so let's go to genesis 1 26 genesis 1 26 You guys can write down those passages. I'm, I'm going to be reading the majority of them. All right, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God doesn't have to talk to himself, does he? God, God is three in one, right? But he is one. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the divine council, right? The beings who were made before the humans, who he now allows to be with him in his council. So you see up there, Yahweh's executive council, right? Just like we have executive council at the church. The pastor is leading, but the executive council is there to guide and help, right? Not, not that God needs guidance, obviously, but he allows them to give their input. So what does it say? He allows them to help him govern and rule the universe. Decision-making and decision-execution. Okay, so who, who are these beings? Let's read another passage from Genesis as well, from the creation. 
Genesis 3.22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Who's us? The divine beings. To know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. All right. Psalm 82, 1 through 6. We read Psalm 82, but this is the perfect example, right? God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand, for they walk in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. So who is he talking to, right? These divine beings. And in Job, Pastor Tim just preached on Job a couple weeks ago. Here's a scene from Job. Job 1, 6 through 7. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Okay, who are the sons of God? The divine beings, right? Humans can't go up to heaven, right? They're divine beings. All right, Job 2, 1. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. 1 Kings 22, 19 through 23. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but God is asking. I'm pretty sure a lot of us have heard this story. God is asking, what do we do with Ahab, right? How do we deal with Ahab? And what are there? There are voices that rise up, right, and start suggesting things. God, maybe we do this. God, maybe we do that. Well, who is that? That's the divine counsel. Are we, are we getting the picture here? Are we getting the picture that there are more things happening than we can see? And if it happened then, happening now. Are, are, are we tracking with this? Are we, are we seeing this develop in front of our eyes? They have been by his side since Genesis 1-1. They experienced the creation of the earth. The phrase in Genesis 1-1, heavens and the earth, refers to the entire universe. This would include all the separate parts. The creation of angels, the divine celestial beings, would be included in this statement. And then we see Job 38, 1-7. And that is when Job is speaking wrongly, right? And God says, who are you to tell me these things? Did you set the foundations of the earth? And here, let, let, let's read just a snippet of that real quick. Let's go to Job. I want everyone to turn Job 38. Because, guys, right now this may not seem important, but it's going to be highly important for us to understand these deeper things of what's happening in the cosmos around us. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So what is he saying? Who are you? These are ignorant words. You don't know what you speak of. Verse 3. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Wow. Could you imagine God speaking to you like that? Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. No, thank you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So what does that show us? When the world was being created, the divine council was there cheering him on. God, this is amazing. This is great. They were there with him before the foundations of the world. So what does this tell us about spiritual forces we fight today? They've seen it all. If we think we can just outsmart them without putting up boundaries and knowing how to fight, we will fail every single time. You know what scripture says about Lucifer before he fell? It says he was perfect in wisdom. 
and full in beauty. What does that tell us about Satan? That's one smart sucker. He knows what he's doing. And this is why it's so important for us to know these, what we would consider obscure things, so we know who we are dealing with, right? What, what is that proverbial saying, know thine enemy, right? Who are we fighting? Those of you who served in the military, I'm sure they instilled this in you guys, right? Know who you are going against. You have to have a plan when you enter. That means knowing the history of who you're fighting. All right, and now, now, now we're going to shift over from the divine counsel, right? Those who are with God, assisting God. And now we're going to deal with the three rebellions of the gods, right? The three rebellions of what we would consider fallen angels, correct? What we would consider fallen angels, small g gods. All right, let's go to Genesis 3. All right, majority of us know this story, right? This is the serpent in the garden. I'm not going to read the whole story. All right, Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees and of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Was he necessarily wrong? I mean, no, the serpent wasn't necessarily wrong because did they die instantaneously? No. But what was God saying? You won't live forever with me in paradise. Once you eat of this fruit, you will be cast out and you will die as a mortal man. Right? So what does that show us already about Lucifer, the serpent, right? So cunning, so smart. All it takes is a twist of words to make you fail. So we as well have to understand who we're going up against. All right, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, okay? This is a description of Satan, of Lucifer, okay? So Genesis, right, this is the first rebellion in heaven, right? This is when Lucifer first rebels. This is where we first see this. So Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. All right, here we are. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, we all know Lucifer fell because of pride, right? He considered himself to be like God, the most high. Well, why did he consider himself that? Because he was considered a God. Do we understand that? He was a lowercase God who thought he should be an uppercase God, correct? So he wanted to assert himself in a higher position than what he was created for. But sometimes I, 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 think, I think we minimize Lucifer and we just view him as, you know, some little imp, some little imp. No, no, no. Let, let's read the description of him in Ezekiel and see how God had, God had created him, correct? Angels are created beings, all right, Ezekiel 28, starting in verse 11. All right, so th this is, Ezekiel 28 is what we call a double reference, all right? So it starts off talking about the king of Tyre, who's an earthly king. But then we see a transition in verse 11, and it's dealing with someone who, who's a little bit more behind the scenes, who's actually, who's actually the puppeteer here, who's controlling the king of Tyre. And we'll see him in his verbiage. This is no earthly man. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the seal of perfection. 
full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And what, what does 13 say? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Wow. So what does that mean? That means Lucifer would have known Adam and Eve, correct? They would have seen him in the garden, correct? That's why he disguised himself as a serpent. Do we understand that? Y'all, he's smart. He knows what he's, he's not playing games. He knew his mission and he would do anything to achieve it, even become a creature that crawls on their bellies to do it. Do we understand that? Even though he's the most prideful creature to ever exist, right? Because he's a creature, he's created. Even though he's the most prideful creature, he was so overtaken by his own pride that he was willing to stoop as low as become a serpent to achieve what he thought was going to be the end goal of becoming like God the Most High. And that's who we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with someone who is so cunning and, what does it say, right? Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's why scripture says, no wonder even Lucifer disguises himself as an angel of light. So a lot of the times when we're attacked in these spiritual battles, it looks real good to us. And it looks light. But in reality, it's full of darkness. And it's an evil attack, correct? Even though it may look good from the outside. That, that's the first rebellion. All right, so Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Th this is one where I, I geek out over. This is one that people have written countless books on. Okay, this is the second rebellion. So we're going to go Genesis 6, 1 through 4. The, this one, I, I thoroughly enjoy this one, all right? And obviously it's bad that this happened, right? I'm just saying I enjoy studying. It's, it's a very interesting topic. Verse 1. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Sorry, guys, give me one sec. I have to ask a question. There we go. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. These are the demigods of the Bible. Okay? Divine beings, lowercase gods, came down and impregnated women. These are the demigods. What? Demigods are, are in some weird Greek mythology? No, demigods come from scripture. Where do you think they get everything from? Right? The Bible is the origin story of everything else that has come out of it, right? These are the demigods of scripture. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Okay, so that, that, that's the full story, okay, of what happened when these angels came down, right? So where did this take place? Right before the flood, correct? And what does it say? Men were evil, so evil, continually evil. And it's actually really cool because who has heard of the book of Enoch? It's a part of the Apocrypha that was left out of our Bible. Anyone ever heard of the book of Enoch? Very interesting. Enoch, you know, walked with God earlier in Genesis, right? He's a Noah's grandfather, I believe, right? So he's connected to Noah. And this book now, it was left out of our Bibles. But the cool thing about this is Jesus would have actually grown up reading this. Peter and Paul would have grown up reading this. This was a part of the main literature of the ancient Jewish people. 
okay? This book, now, Pastor Josiah, why are you mentioning this book, all right? This book actually goes into detail about the story, okay? Now, it's left out of our Christian Bible, correct? So it's not canonized, right? It's not inerrant scripture. But it is considered a historical document, and it was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So what does that mean? It has some validity to it from a historical perspective. But now the book of Enoch actually tells this amazing story. Now these angels who came down and had, had intimate relations with women were called the Watchers. And they were part of God's divine council. They were very mighty angels, many, very mighty warriors. And when they had come down, they made a pact to all come down. There's 200 in all. They came down to impregnate women. And this is adding on to the Genesis 1 through 4 story. Sorry, 6, 1 through 4 story. Okay, now what, is this, what does that story tell us that actually is referred to in Scripture by Peter and Jude? You can look it up. Jude, uh, Jude 1, 4, chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, and 1 Peter 3, 19. Okay, they actually refer and quote some things from Enoch. We're actually going to deal with one of those passages. But the story tells how when the angels came down and impregnated women, they imparted forbidden knowledge. So the ancient Israelite people, while they believed sin originated with Adam... They believe that humanity became completely deprived when these angels taught forbidden knowledge. That is the concept of what the ancient Israelites would have believed about sin and why we are so evil. They believe that the angels taught us witchcraft, astrology, um, how to make weaponry, armor, all those things. So they taught witchcraft and violence. So basically Satanism and violence, that's what they believed. I find that interesting that that would have been the viewpoint of a lot of the people in Scripture. Okay, but let, let's deal with one of these scriptures that actually has this story in it. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. And this is actually one of the main scriptures that pastors tend to avoid because it's hard to preach on a Sunday morning. But I like Wednesday nights because, you know, we, we can just talk about it and discuss through it. 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in the prison. Whoa, spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah. Who's this referring to? The angels who were bound, who came down to women, that were bound, right, and put in judgment. We actually see them, a lot of people believe in Revelation. They're the four angels um, at the river Euphrates. That's what a lot of people believe. But right, that, what is that referring to? That's referring to these angels that came down, right? They were chained up. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through the water. 21. There's also an anti-type which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Why, why were these angels, why were these angels even brought up in this passage? Okay? Because the ancient Israelites, which obviously is in scripture, we should, we should take some validity from this. Okay? He went to them because think about it. They came down, right? They had children with women. That was a forbidden union. Okay? Angels and humans were never meant to breed together. Forbidden union. Okay? So that and that equals no-no, right? That's why they are bound up. That's why majority, well, that's why all their descendants were killed, okay? And God even sends a direct order for that, okay? In the book of Joshua, he sends them to kill the giants, the remnant of these people, okay? But Jesus was the union of God the Father and woman, right? Just as angels and women mated with an unholy union, now Jesus came from God into woman and was born perfect, 
okay? So a lot of people believe that he was undoing a lot of what was done in this scene. I know that sounds weird. You know, Jesus, why is that even a part of your mission? But books and books have been written on this. And so as they, as, as they uh, sprayed sin into the earth, Jesus came to relinquish sin. So he came down to basically rub in their faces, what you meant for harm, I came to turn around for good. And everything you did, I am undoing. The unholy union of men and angel was a holy union of God and woman. God and man, right? For the perfect man. All the sin that came from that unholy union was then corrected in the holy union of God and man. Do we see that? Do we see that reversal there? That's why he goes down into what they call the prison, right? The spirits in the prison. It's a holding place for these angels. Revelation calls it the same thing. They're dealing with the same place. Okay, that's one of those passages that is odd. But if we don't understand the story, the second rebellion of Genesis 6, okay, and a lot of times we think that Lucifer is the only one who rebelled. That's not true. Let's look at another rebellion. Rebellion number 3. Genesis 11, okay? Let's go to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Y'all, this is called the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, okay? The Deuteronomy 32 worldview, because it connects. Here, let's go to 11. All right, this is the Tower of Babel, correct? All people were together, right? All in the same accord, wanting to build a tower to make a name for themselves, right? Tower to the gods to make a name for themselves. Mighty men, Okay? And so what happens there? What happens? In chapter 10, we see the table of nations, correct? The people who come from the ark are now in their own families, right? Generations later. We have clans and tribes, families, right? So what happens is when God sees how evil these people are, okay? And we see this in scripture. And he confuses their language, correct? Confuses their language and he disperses them. What happens in chapter 12? He chooses Abraham as his chosen people. So what does that mean about the other people of the earth? Figuratively, he divorces the rest of the people of the earth, and he chooses the chosen people to be different than the rest of the earth. Correct? These people are evil. They're terrible and babble. They just want to be like the gods, right? They want to do whatever they want to do. It's an evil city. He disperses them, confuses their language. So then he divorces them as a people, and he chooses one select people for himself, the Israelites. So let's go to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. This is what is called the, the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Verse 8. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. God chose Israelites, correct? Well, who's governing the rest of the people? We saw in Psalms 82. Who's governing the rest of the people? The sons of God. That is what we call cosmic geography. So in different places of the world, there are divine entities ruling over certain spaces. Have you heard of strongholds? Who do you think is setting up the strongholds? Why do you think certain places in the world deal with specific sins? There are specific entities who, roll who rule over these districts. Obviously, God has allowed them power, right? Because if, if it wasn't from God, they would have no authority. God has relinquished. So what, who now is in the fold of God's people? Us, right? Christians, believers. But we have to know as believers living in America, right? Because Israel is still God's chosen people. He just allowed us into the fold, correct? So what does that mean for us living in America? There are specific entities ruling in America that we have to battle. 
This is why when Paul talks about spiritual warfare, he actually lays out four different types of spiritual entities we battle. We're going to deal with that on a Sunday morning. Okay, do, are we seeing the pieces connecting here? Right, these things are set in place, and they have been for thousands of years. Just because we're in the year 2021 doesn't mean these things have changed. So without us even knowing it, in the unseen realm, battles are being waged over specific territories. And we're going to deal with scripture that actually points to that very clearly. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, when the archangel comes to him, what does he say? I was battling the prince of Persia. He wasn't battling a man. Do we see that? He was battling a spiritual entity that was ruling over Persia. So what does that mean for us in 2021? We are dealing with spiritual entities who are battling for Columbia, correct? Who are putting a spirit of apathy upon people, a spirit of laziness and complacency, who don't want to go to church because that is a spirit. Do we understand this? Just like up north, how the LBGTQ is so big up there. Why do we think that is? Because there is a spirit pushing that in that area. And if we sit here naive and think that it's all not connected, we are going to lose the battle. Paul understood this. That's why Paul wrote so many times about spiritual warfare. Our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Amen? It's against spiritual powers that we must first understand in order to fight. Which makes us go back in history, understanding scripture, what Jesus did, correct? Then we go forward and we fight. All right? So now we see the three rebellions. Those are the three rebellions, okay? We're, we're going to deal with them in a second, all right? But listen, this, this is a bold statement, but I genuinely believe this is true just from seeing how God has divided the nations amongst the lowercase gods. All gods of other religions are real beings. And I know that's a far-fetched idea because when, when we think of God, there's only one God. Amen. There's only one God. There's only, only one capital G-O-D God. He created everything else, but that includes the divine beings. And is it so crazy that we can believe in, in a virgin birth, that we can believe in a risen Messiah, and we can believe in a creator God, but we can't believe in entities who rage war amongst us right now? You're telling me you can believe in a virgin birth, you can believe a virgin girl can have a baby, and you can believe that a dead man rose from the grave three days after he was already buried, and you can believe that a God made the world with such detail and thought and love but you can't believe that there are entities around us right now in this moment. And if we live our lives without this perspective, and some of us are stuck in sin, not saying you guys, there are a lot of Christians stuck in sin, not understanding why. Guys, 74% of people in the American church watch P-O-R-N. And we wonder why we fail and we fail and we fail because we don't understand the spirit that is fighting us. Every time you come now, sometimes it's just our own evil will. Scripture clearly states that sometimes it's just your flesh. And if you don't spend time in your word, you don't spend time with the Lord, the one who restores your heart and your soul, you will fall. That is a fact. Sometimes you are your worst enemy way more than some cosmic entity is. But I'm saying with us as a church for our battle plan, if we truly want to impact this region, 
we have to tear down strongholds. We have to break down walls that were built up by the enemy. It's more than just this building. It's the, me and Pastor Charlie were talking the other day. It's more than just this building. It's more than just the congregation. We were meant to impact the community. But there are spiritual entities fighting for their souls that we have to know how to battle. And God's not out here just making new angels like babies are popping out. So what does that mean? They've been around. The, the fallen beings that we are fighting today have seen it all. Do we understand that? They know how to play a Christian like nobody's business. Does everyone know the story from Acts chapter 19, I believe, when they were trying to perform an exorcism in the name of Jesus? They said, by the Jesus that Paul talks about. And the demon says, hold, 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 hold. He literally says this. He says, wait, 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 wait. I've heard of Paul, and I know Jesus, but who are you? You think these entities haven't done that a million times? Us as Christians, oh, in the, in the name of Paul, in the name of Peter, and by this scripture. And he says, now, I know the Bible, and I know those figures of the Bible, but who are you? You haven't equipped yourself? You haven't trained yourself? You've never even been in battle, you greenie. How are you going to fight me? Do we understand? That's why this is so important. We can believe in a heaven and a hell and the second coming of Christ, and we can believe in the new heavens and the new earth, but we can't believe in spiritual warfare? And that it's for right now in this moment? And that seems so obscure to us because we live in such a physical world. With so many filters put up, we talked about earlier, the 21st century, I believe we have more spiritual filters put up than anyone else, and especially traditions that tell us specific things. But I'm tired of traditions. I'm ready to get back to the scriptures. And everything I've talked about tonight is what? Scripture. It's scripture. It's the word of God. It's in the Bible. Is it not? It's, it's in the Bible. I'm not just making this up. That's why I put all these references for you guys. This is just Pastor Josiah acting crazy. This is real life. This is what we were called here to do. All right, and now, now we're going to deal with the hard truth because I know so many of us have been taught this about, about spiritual rebellion. I know a lot of you may be mad at me, but this, this, is, this is fact about Revelation 12. Many people read Revelation 12 as if this is Lucifer's fall, and people quote this all the time, as if this is the fall of Lucifer, okay, as if this is the origin story. There's no way this is the origin story of Lucifer. What's this story about? Israel and the coming Messiah. The woman is Israel. The child is Jesus. Well, if Lucifer's fall happened in Genesis, how is he just now rebelling when Jesus is born? It's not true. And that, that's a hard truth because I hear people quote this all the time. And a third of the angels were taken from heaven. We don't know how many angels were taken from heaven. We don't know. This isn't the passage pointing to the origin of everything. This story right here in chapter 12 is telling of the coming Messiah. This is when the, there, there was a cosmic battle by the dragon, the Satan, when the Messiah was born. Why? He was terrified of the Messiah. This is the one he knew was coming. Let me ask you this. How does the enemy win? How does the enemy win? What does scripture say? First off, they don't win. That was a trick question. Um, no one answered, so I guess y'all didn't know that one. Um, second off, what is scripture? Jesus said, I will come back when all the nations, right? The gospel has been spread to all the nations. What is the enemy's goal? Don't let the gospel be spread to all the nations, because what happens if we do that? Jesus never comes back. 
Jesus never comes back. Why do you think there's such a resistance to the gospel in America? The longer those entities can hold back the power of the gospel by putting in filters in our eyes and in our ears, the longer Jesus won't come back. Yeah, it is good. Thank you. The longer Jesus won't come back. That's the only way the enemy knows he can hold off is the longer he holds back the gospel, the longer he can torment the earth. All right. And we guys, we, I'm telling you, this, this may not seem important, but this is so important. And, and I put the, the two viewpoints here, the main two viewpoints of theologians. But why? Why is this so important? Because in order to fight battles, we have to understand the history of who we are fighting. I know I've said that so many times, but I feel like in church, we just come in and we want some goosebumps. But we don't want that head knowledge that's going to push us forward. Well, I posted on Facebook the other day, scripture is so important, but so is being led by the Holy Spirit. But you got to have both. We can't, y'all, the Pentecostal church has been bashed for so long by just being some hyper crazy, you know, hypersensitive maniacs who just want to feel a touch of the Lord and fall out on the floor. We're not those people that they say we are. Amen? But what does that mean? That means we, we can't play into that stereotype. We've got to know the word of God. We can't just be like other Pentecostal churches that are okay with holy rolling and flipping out on the floor and just feeling the Holy Spirit every time. The Holy Spirit's not just a goosebump. The Holy, holy, the holy Spirit lives in your mortal body. What does Paul say? Do you not know? With like question mark and a you know, thousand exclamation points. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just enter a room. He's already living inside of you. Amen? This, are, are, are we tracking here? That's why this is so important. Because everything Pastor Charlie and I teach on and preach on from this point on is building on this foundation right here. We're going to learn more about who we're fighting. Every Wednesday, we're learning more about who we're fighting. We're learning more about what the scripture, not what does some book say about spiritual beings. What does the Holy Bible say about spiritual beings? What does the Holy Spirit say about how we wage war against spiritual beings? How do we tear down strongholds? How do we beat down walls? How do we impact our community that's being terrorized by these demonic entities? How do we do that? That's what we are here to do. That's what our battle plan is about. Bringing the gospel to the nations and beating down some demons and entities while we're at it. Okay? Because what does scripture say? Scripture says we were made above the angels. Correct? When we go to heaven, who would the divine counsel be when we go to heaven? It's us. It's the believers. That's why there are 24 elders around the throne of God in the book of Revelation. That hasn't happened yet. That's the future. Right? But when it does happen, we will be his divine counsel. Amen? So we've got to understand that we have the authority, not in our own, but through Jesus Christ, to tear down strongholds, to set the captive free. If Jesus cared about this, we should care about this. One of Jesus' biggest ministries was exorcism. If Jesus cared about setting the captive free, if Jesus cared about waging spiritual war, we should care about setting the captive free. We should care about spiritual war. Amen? Amen? We, I, I, put, I put time for Q&A. Does anyone have a question? I think we have time for probably two questions about anything. If not, that's fine too. Yes, Brother Norman. That's, 
it's, it's not, that's not biblical. That's in Revelation 12, which I was just talking about. That's not possible that that happened, because if that would have happened, that would have happened in Genesis. But this is the story of the coming Messiah who was born as the child. So a third of the angels did not fall, but that is a very popular theology that's not found in the Bible, but it's found in charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Only, actually. Other, other denominations don't hold to that. So the reason, I, the reason we hear that so much is because that's actually more of an IPHC tradition that's taught rather than the actual word of God. And for me, Brother Norman, I'm not throwing shade on anybody. I'm not saying it. I'm reading the Bible for what the Bible says. I'm studying the Bible in depth, commentaries after commentaries, to make sure I'm teaching you guys the right thing. Because what does the scripture say about a teacher? A teacher is held to such a higher level than anyone else. And if I'm teaching you that a third of the angels fell just because that's what tradition tells me to tell you, then I'm going to have to take account of that before the throne of God one day. Yeah. You're welcome. So all, all, the, all the rebellions of the gods we see and know of are in the Old Testament. Actually, all in the book of Genesis. Any more questions? Clarities? Clear anything up? Thank you. Hey, thank you for making sure I said lower G gods. I had it up on there, but I didn't say it until you said it. So thank you, Miss Karen. Mm -hmm. Well, at least he could because he disguised himself as a serpent. Well, I think she was. I, I think I personally, this is me, Miss Karen. I personally think that the reason they had that conversation, and obviously if, if Lucifer would have come up as himself, because right, he was a guardian cherub. That means he guarded the throne of God. We see that in Ezekiel 28. Okay? The reason he disguised himself as a snake is so she wouldn't know. Now, I think she, I think she was free. I think that's why she listened to him. Because she's like, hold up. Okay, this is weird. This serpent is talking to me. This isn't normal. And that's okay if we disagree. They tweet. I mean, yeah, we do have mockingbirds. And isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the beauty of this? As long as it's not a Jesus issue, we can disagree on these small things. Yeah. It is. Something to think about. It, it would be freaky. And I, I mean, personally, I'll, like I said, personally, me, I think the reason that she even had a conversation was because she thought it was so intriguing. Like, why, why is a serpent speaking to me? Um, yeah, that's, that's just me personally. But any other questions? We good? Brother C, would you like to pray us out, my friend?